This podcast is brought to you by GG Poker. GG Poker won huge tournaments and hold the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament. As the world's biggest online poker room, GG Poker are making poker fun again. GG Poker offers exciting game formats and software features that aren't available anywhere else. So why play anywhere else? Plus, if you're new to GG Poker, get £60 free play when you make your first deposit of £10 or more. Players must be 18 plus. Full terms and conditions apply. Please see ggpoker.co.uk for details. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm delighted to be joined once again by Russell Boyce and Kevin Graham. Welcome back to the Axon Bulletin, gentlemen. How are you? Yes, good, mate. Good. Um, it's been a less eventful weekend than normal for a Monday show, Paul, so uh, I, at least I'm not going to be getting uh, any hate mail this week, I'm telling you. 
<laughs> I hope you don't get uh, hate mail, Russell. Uh, <laughs> I know someone who does, and that's your your co-host, Kevin Graham. He gets plenty. Um, Kevin, we're back. Obviously, as Russell said, there are no games over the weekend for Celtic. We have fallen behind again. Uh, 23 points now is a deficit. Obviously, we've got a couple of games coming up on Wednesday night where Celtic will be facing Hamilton. Aki's, we opened the season up, Kevin, with a, a convincing victory against Hamilton. And I remember you took a wee bit of stick because you weren't overly impressed with that. You weren't overly impressed with the first half performance against Ross County when we battered them 5 nothing away. Um, can you see Celtic beyond everything else that we're going to discuss today in relation to transfers and managers and structural change? Do you see us being able to go out on Wednesday and get a result? I mean, we've had a terrible month yet. We've not had a, a win this month. You've got to believe that we can, eh? But I think the problem that we've got is, I mean, we're in a state of flux. We're in a state of confusion eh, with regards to the future of the club, future of the manager. So the players are probably going to be the same. I, I, find it, I find it extremely difficult to believe that the players would be able to block out the noise that's going on round about the club at the moment. They're probably just as unsure as us. I mean, look, we're unsure, but it's their livelihoods. They, they don't know what's going to be happening over the next couple of months. They don't know who's going to be their manager next season, if the structure, what structure they're going to be playing under next season. Uh, you've also got the, the, the COVID worry as well. I mean, it's looking at increasingly likely that you're struggling that you're going to get fans back into the stadium this year. Mm. <laughs> Never mind before the end of the season. Um, so they they might be they might be worrying about pay cuts and and yes people will go are they earning enough money but they love a lifestyle of compared to the money that they earn so they they still will, there will be some of them still have money money worries in that eh? so it's a confusing time for them and maybe getting out on a football park will give them a bit of respite and let them do what they they should be good at which is scoring goals and winning games. Um, Hopefully, now that the majority of the squad have been back a week, that we'll be able to get a result and a decent performance. Maybe just a result, or maybe just pin my hat on a result rather than a decent performance because we haven't seen one of them probably since this point last year. It is a frustration. I mean, Russell, obviously, it, it would be fantastic for us to be sitting here looking back on the last game, looking ahead to the next one. But there's so much more to uh, the world at Celtic at this moment in time. Are you able to, at any point, switch off from the noise, as Kevin describes, and have a look forward to the game of football that we'll be watching on Wednesday? Or that almost becomes a sideshow. Well, I think, I think you've just hit the nail on the head there. I, I'll be honest to you, I think with the way it's coming to the games now, there's a lot of reasons why they're not taking sort of precedence, which is such a sin because, I mean, the whole reason that we support Celtic in the first place is our love of the actual sport. That's what that's what start, triggers the whole the whole falling in love with the club and all that. Um, I actually happen to think that right now, though, with all the sideshows that are going on, or you could say lack of sideshow at times, um, because there's an, been a strange silence since the last time I was on um, from the board again, I think that does take up almost 99.9% of your thinking. And the fact that uh, what you are watching on the pitch as well isn't really up to much, as Kev's sort of alluding to, um, also makes it easier not to be focusing on that aspect as much. But what's happening off the club right now and um, the silence is is deafening, like you said uh, last week as well. Uh, and I really don't know what what the script is going. And also, usually in January, you'd be thinking, 
Um, one of the reasons you're a wee bit more distracted from the football inside of things is the transfer window. But of course, that's been absolutely uh, that's been null and void as well. Mm, absolutely. I mean, Kevin, we had a very interesting discussion over the weekend uh, on the bulletin, and we were talking about days gone by where I'm trying to pull some kind of comparison between the pre-season we're going to enter after this season um, being similar to the one post Dalgleish and Barnes and what I mean by that is the level of investment as much as anything and because I mean you look at the situation we have at the moment uh, you've got the four core staff manager uh, coaching staff so you've got Lenny Strachan, Kennedy and Stevie Woods if there is a change like there was back in the time of Barnes you've got four payoffs because back then it was Dalgleish, Barnes, McDermott and Eric Black. So that's massive. And then obviously you've got the new manager and management team stroke coaching team coming in. If you're going to employ someone who isn't unemployed, you've then got the matter of compensation to pay as well. So it's a double whammy. So you could have, you know, the equivalent of eight payouts just to get a new management team in. How do you think that is influencing any decisions that are being made at Celtic at the moment, Kevin, during the issues that we have financially because of the COVID? It's got to, because nobody can really predict what's going to happen. I bang on about this all the time, but how can they sell season tickets for next year knowing full well that supporters are not going to be in the ground? It's not like this season where they had... They basically sold them on the intention of we'll be back by September, we'll be back by October, we'll be back by the Rangers game on the 28th of October. That's no longer that's no longer going to sell. It's not going to sell to the vast majority of the support. And if and after so how how do you sell that? Because I can get a stream and watch the majority of the games. I don't need to spend six hundred pounds. And truthfully, there'll be a lot of people out there who can't afford to throw £600 to watch a a stream. Not anymore. So the income of the club is going to be under serious... The income of the whole football uh, enterprise is going to be under consideration for people um, going into next season. Our our main investment over the summer should be uh, a new coaching staff. Mm. And that's only investment that we get then that's only investment that we're going to get. There is going to be players leaving. There might even be players leaving over the next, I think it's to the 5th of February, the transfer window closes. Now it's not the end of January. Um, But the market seems dead. There doesn't seem to be anything happening. When you watch uh, a certain sports channel rolling news, there there doesn't seem to be any big transfers going to happen. And I think that's a sign of clubs tightening their belts because they don't know what's going to happen in the next six, seven months. And that's got to be a consideration for the club stepping forward. But it shouldn't be the only consideration. We have a major shareholder with deep pockets. And if we've got to take a loan, I know we're not going to go into debt. I know that I know the way that the club's run, and I'm quite happy the club's run that way. But we need a major investment in the management and the coaching side. And mm-hmm. that has to be top priority. Now, again, that puts you in a position, Kevin, whereby that um, management stroke coaching team will want to know about budgets. They'll want to know about signing targets. Now, I think just about everybody who's been on the the, the bulletin over the last couple of weeks, I've said, well, you know what? We do have a, a strong squad. That squad didn't 
become poor overnight. There's loads of other circumstances that are contributing to that. So a manager coming in will be able to identify that, yeah, there's a core of players there, but regardless, they'll want to add some players themselves. So, I mean, again, we're in a bit of a catch-22 then, Kev, because you won't be able to get the best candidate if you don't have this, this bounty of you know, a, a signing budget as well. I mean, you look at you look at O'Neill. O'Neill's main main signing was Chris Sutton, who was basically paid for by Mark Vaduka. Mark Vaduka went to Leeds. You, you look at the rebuild Neil Lennon done after Tony Mowbray. That was basically uh, built by selling Aidan McGeady to Spartak Moscow. It'll happen again, um, but just this time you'll maybe have four or five players leaving to fund. Uh, to, you'll have four or five players leaving to fund the re- the rebuild, but. The majority of that should be actually spent on the on the coaching staff because I, I do reckon that we've still got decent enough ingredients there uh, to actually have a decent side. Uh, we just need pointed in the right right direction, developed in the right direction. So there there is a bit of healing and dealing to be done, and I, I reckon that will need to be done, and hopefully it's done by a new CEO. Well, we'll come back to that as well, Kevin, because that is part of the wider structural issues at Celtic. Russell, we're talking about how the current pandemic is possibly influencing the lack of decision-making at Celtic. It isn't influencing the lack of decision-making elsewhere, because obviously the breaking news today is that Lampard's out and Chelsea already have someone lined up to take over. Uh, Lampard was in charge of Chelsea last night when they beat Luton, but you know they're not messing about this morning. They're getting uh, everything sorted out and they're doing it efficiently so it's not the case across the board but certainly at Celtic you're looking at perhaps the financial element of getting rid of a coaching staff bringing in a new one how big of an element is the fact that we're not there we're not in at the games there isn't 60,000 uh, of a support um, calling for change or the vast majority of them calling for change during the games at full time in the games, outside the stadium, because I think all of these things would have been a regular occurrence this season. Yeah. How big how big an impact has the lack of fans had on the the lack of action at Celtic? Well, I think if that is the case, what you're saying, and that was to be such a big factor in, in the decision-making process at board level, then that they wouldn't be fit for purpose, I'm afraid, because that has to be a mitigating factor when you're hearing the influence of the fans and the noise that they're making. But surely you have, you have to have enough conviction in your own decision-making uh, skills to make big calls when they're necessary, regardless of whether there's fans outside shouting or not. That should add weight um, to a current thought process you're already having. But I would like to think that the board has more about them um, than it just being dependent on the fans not being there. If that's the case, I'd be extremely concerned. Kevin, you, you've obviously been in, involved in fan groups down the years, season ticket holder for as long as myself. When was it now, 94? First season ticket back in the day. Uh, in your opinion, if we were all in there, if the stadium was, was full to capacity in most home games, what do you think the reaction would be? I mean, I've, I've seen good and bad reactions. You, you go further back, you go back to the last day of the season when, uh, was it Jimmy Gilmer scored the goal for Falkirk? They beat us 2-1 that day. Uh, Jimmy you know, it's Jimmy Johnson's nephew, Jimmy Gilmer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, is he related to the Gilmers from Coatbridge? Uh, lead, lead, singer, lead singer at the Silencers, Jinky Gilmer. 
Oh, there might be a connection there. I, I couldn't 100% confirm that, but I'm sure some difficult bridge might be able to confirm Possibly, that. possibly. And, you know, you remember the scenes after that game with scarfs getting thrown at players as they ran up the tunnel. We've seen protests outside uh, the stadium. Uh, we've seen it this season. We've seen the protests outside the stadium this season. Do you think uh, the fan influence this season would have been huge in any decision-making process? Because Russell makes a point there. It shouldn't really. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be nice for the suits sitting in the comfy seats watching this unfold um, maybe the, the fencing being erected maybe you know there being a police presence as uh, vehicles are, are being led out of the stadium it wouldn't be nice it would be uncomfortable for them do you think it would change anything in terms of the, the, the decision making and the speed in which they're making these decisions Kevin? Of course you've got to believe it would I mean because after the protests against the Ross County the Ross County games and no matter if they were right or wrong attacking attacking the team bus is wrong bottom line that is wrong but seemingly the players were shocked at the reaction and the support and I was thinking to myself well if the crowd were, were there they wouldn't be shocked by the reaction they would know how the crowd were feeling about the performances I still put my overall general uh, opinion on this is we wouldn't be in this position if fans were there. And I still really, really believe that either the change would be made or we would still be in the running. I really do believe that. And folk can call me stupid all they want, but I really do believe if fans were in the stadium, we wouldn't be in this mess. Remember last season, Kevin, one each against Hamilton. We were up. Then we, we lost the goal after a long throw and they threatened all day, didn't they? All night that they were going to score from a long throw and, and indeed they did. But of course, Scott Brown scored in the dying embers of that game. And you look back on even games like that that are maybe not famous games in the history of Celtic. But in terms of last season, when you're looking at a momentum and, and you're looking at that, that belief system of we're going to win this league, continuing from one game to the next, the fans do play a massive part in that. I mean, you, you, could, you could feel the lift, even when Hamilton equalised that night, you could feel the lift that the players were given by the fan reaction. You know, it's similar to, and I'll get on to him in a second, Lee Griffiths coming back to full fitness this was last season, and every time he ran around the back of the goals and everybody stands up, do you think that that um, gives Lee Griffiths a wee bit extra? Of course it does. Absolutely. Everybody to a man were standing up and applauding Lee Griffiths because he was going to come on as a sub. Do you think that gives him that, uh, an extra few percent in his legs? I would say so. Of course it does. And I'm not saying if the fans were there, we wouldn't be as poor. What I'm actually saying, the reason that we're how many points we are behind uh, behind Rangers is because of poor recruitment and poor management and poor coaching. Bottom mm-hmm. line, that's it. But what I'm actually saying is some of the players who have lost a lot of the confidence, a lot of their, uh, their self-confidence, would have that if the, the crowd were still there. You pe- made the perfect example about Lee Griffiths. Maybe Barkas would, would be would be able to catch something or make a save if, if, if we had given him a, a traditional Celtic welcome. Uh, maybe Ayeti would have been on on fire because we were there encouraging them. Um, we, we, we are generally an encouraging support. We, we generally are quite a level-headed support and we don't get on the team's back as much as other supports in British football. And I think you, players have said uh, players have said that during the years. And we have been missed this season, definitely. And going for what we should have been going for this season, I think we would have carried that team in t- at times. Maybe mm-hmm. we'd still end up with the same result. Who knows? But 
I says at the AC Milan game when we went 2-1, two, two when, we, when we went 2-1, I says, and you can go back and check the tape, I says, if there's 50,000 Celtic fans in that stadium, that game's ending up to each that night. That has ended up to each that night. You did say that, yeah. I did say that. But then, on, on, the, on the flip side, I go back to the Copenhagen game last year, I reckon the crowd caused us to lose that Copenhagen game because when we equalised, we done the shout, go forward, go forward, let's win this game before going into extra time, where the team should have actually took a big deep breath and went, no, we'll take this into extra time. <clears throat> and so it can work both ways, but I would like to have seen us with the crowd there this season. I do believe, maybe it's misguided, but I do believe we would have made a difference. Now, Russell, we're talking about, obviously, the, the impact uh, or otherwise of the fans not being there. Uh, but again, we're, we are in a situation where it's simply not happened. The wheels have, have come off this season. Uh, and a big part of that is Kevin. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh yeah, love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile, unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Quite rightly says is the manager. Um, there's other reasons. Bad planning, coaching, recruitment. Um, you know, allowing this kind of for me, uh, an attitude to creep into the all levels of the club, uh, which, you know, some quarters have called it arrogant. I just think it's certainly complacent. There's a complacency crept in. Um, when you're looking at the, the manager and you're looking at what's happening down south, and I know it's a different ball game, I know that, but we look upon ourselves as a club um, of an elite status in so far as it can be elite in um, the Scottish game. Chelsea, they make a decision. They've got a man lined up. The job's done. The merry-go-round starts going round again in terms of management. Even I think even managers, in terms of you know the actual reaction, Kevin, coming back yep. to what you said there, how many managers have kept their job uh, due to the fact that you know clubs are looking at finances and saying, well, you plus all your coaching staff are going to cost this club several million pounds. Our first target is going to be this guy. That's going to cost us several. Mo-. How many clubs? reluctant and maybe giving their coaches more time 
is that a factor in what Celtic are doing? I think it probably is. But when you look down south and you look at the, the merry-go-round, and as Kevin quite rightly says, some of the managers who have so far either been linked with Celtic or have been uh, quoted on this podcast as being someone that we would like at Celtic, um, it's quite clear Celtic are not going to be in the running for people like Rafa Benitez or Ralph Ranić. When you're looking at the clubs that they are connected to, uh, but also the fact that it would appear, and I find this absolutely astonishing, that a lot of the, the mainstream media channels that ran the Rafa Benitez story at the weekend were basing it on that fake letter, which is quite embarrassing. Um, so, Russell, when you're looking at that, is it possible that the Celtic hierarchy are looking at the situation and thinking, we're just going to see the season out, the league's gone. We might or might not play in the Scottish Cup, never mind win it due to the circumstances. Yep. We're just going to see this out because if we maybe give Lenny notice, I don't know all the details of his contract, it's going to cost the club a lot less come the summer. Do you, it seems more and more likely with every passing day of nothing really on the Twitter page other than, um, you know, on this day or, or birthdays and an actual fact of condolences to the family of Johannes Shuggy Edvaldson and we'll speak about Shuggy as well um, God bless him and obviously our thoughts and prayers are with his, his family uh, but other than that we're getting nothing really tangible from the club Do you, does that make you think we're not doing anything we're not trying to get in touch with the representatives of Eddie Howe we certainly are not in discussions with Rafa Benitez and in actual fact we're not doing anything it's really concerning because if, if that is the case, I mean, obviously, like I've said, I said a couple weeks ago, the season ticket renewals comes out before the end of the season. So it's one hell of a risky strategy if they were to release, you know, the, the renewal the renewal period comes up, comes up and there's been no change and they expect movement there from the fans because I don't think there's going to be nearly as many that bite on the, on the basis that Neil Lennon's still in the manager or... The only way that that could work is if Neil Lennon's leaving at the end of the season and we're made aware of what the plan is going forward. Um, but if they try and do it, like if you're suggesting, like perhaps they've not even approached the sort of high-profile candidates, we would like them to be in discussions with the likes of Benitez. I think you said before they did actually have a, a, a conversations with him before Neil Lennon got the job a couple of years back. I would be absolutely devastated if he's left his job in China. We are clearly going to have a new management team next season at the very latest, and we're not, you know, trying to have conversations with the likes of him, like Eddie Howe, who's a free agent as well. That to me is just shocking if, if it's not the case. However, you've got to admit, why would you delay it right now? What's the benefit to Celtic delaying right now? To me, the season has gone, unfortunately, in the league, um, and only further enhanced in the past sort of four games since since Dubai. We've not picked up a win, and you're thinking. You know, we were screaming out for change before then. There was moments in the season, I think we've all alluded to it, the Ferenc Varos moment, your Pataudry moment, um, the Ross County moment was mine. Do you know what I mean? I, I think you're looking at all these different examples. It's now got to the stage, it's so far past that, there is options out there. I think the how one was obviously we discussed at length last week um, was, was quite obvious. Have they spoke to Eddie Howe? You are, as you say, with every passing day beginning to question that. And I just feel it's very risky to leave all of this to the end of the season. If renewals have been particularly slow, is that perhaps going to influence whether they push the boat out on the manager? Or if renewals are actually ticking along at the same sort of pace they normally are, does that mean they then go for your Jack Ross level, level manager and take their chances there? It's a very strange strategy. And like I've always said, the more they spend on a manager, the more revenue that club will generate. And I don't understand how that, that seems to be getting missed here. 
Um, I think that is the most obvious thing with football. Football clubs, the better the manager you've got, nine times out of ten, the club will generate more money for having them there because they'll sell on players that they've improved. They will get you into the Champions League more often than not and they'll get you into finals, semi-finals with more TV revenue there as well. You're, you're also in a, a tournament summer, which means that nothing gets done until after the, the Euros will be finished. That's so, a good point. So you're bringing a manager in in the summer to assess the squad to maybe make changes maybe see who he wants maybe see who he wants to keep doesn't want to keep then yep. you're right then you're right in the European qualifiers whether that's Champions League or Europa League wherever we're mm. going to be so to do it this summer is the wrong summer to actually do, do it if you're bringing in if you're bringing in a manager and he's not not going to be into the summer He's got to have the tapes of Celtic this season before the end of the season. He's got to know himself that he's coming. Either he's leaving his own job or he's having a sabbatical at this precise moment in time, but knowing full well he's going to start his job on the 1st of June, whenever it is. It's a very, very tough summer to make the wholesale changes player-wise that we want because there's no time. There's absolutely no, right. if, 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 we, if we're lucky enough to finish second, I can't actually believe I'm saying that, but if we're lucky enough to finish second, then you're writing off Champions League qualifiers. Yep. We're bringing in a new manager. You're writing them off. Bringing a new manager to the summer. And I think as well, it's, it's almost verging on wishful thinking that we would have someone who's at another club already lined up to take over the summer and be that organised. I cannot... I can't envisage it being that 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 well set up and that well pre-planned. Um, I almost feel like they're, they're kind of just going day to day right now and, and winging it and hoping that if we can pick up the win against Hamilton midweek and then the end of the January comes and they'll say, oh, there's no point in changing a manager after January because the window would shut. But I mean, imagine if we were to get no points midweek. I mean, the Lenny, the Lenny's got to go calls and only ramp up even further and Maybe that spurs on a decision, but again, you wouldn't feel that if it did spur on an earlier decision, it's one they already had as part of a contingency plan. Would they maybe need to throw, you know, throw another gamble out there because they've not done their homework? Um, it is concerning that aspect to it. For, for for me, if you're bringing in a manager just now, you're saying to him, "Look, we've spent." X amount in the summer there. We reckon we've got a decent squad. The current man's not getting a tune out of them. Uh, we want you to review the squad for now to the end of the season. We didn't want you to bring anybody in in January. That's no a pressure for you to bring anybody in in January. And we'll make it quite clear you're here to actually review the squad before going into next season. You've got four months. Four months competitive football to review the squad. Mm-hmm. On you go. But we reckon there's a decent squad there. <clears throat> Now, what Russell said as well, talking about uh, the benefits, other than the obvious, of bringing in a high-caliber manager. The other one, of course, Russell, is what we've seen when Brennan Rodgers eventually went to Leicester is, you know, they go elsewhere, you get compensation. If you've been cute enough to get them on a decent contract and Celtic made money off of Brendan Rodgers, you know, nine million quid off the management team. So, yeah, there's, there's so many benefits. It uh, beggars belief that we're actually sitting here, in my opinion, thinking, well, Neil Lennon, see out the season. Um, I'm going to throw a few of these comments um, at you guys as well. Stephen Kenneth is watching on YouTube. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Chelsea ruthless in sacking one of their own. If only the Celtic board had shown similar decisiveness months ago, will it finally be this week? Kevin and I spoke about this over the weekend, and you know we're looking back to see if, if there's any signs previously that we can call upon. And the one example I was using was going back to the, the days of Fergus McCann. 
and whereby he realised in his mind that he couldn't have a Celtic man in charge of Celtic. It got to that point where he thought he needed someone who didn't have that emotional t- attachment to Celtic. And I think you, when, you're, when you're growing up, the first manager that the man of Celtic having not played for the club was Liam Brady in the, the, the early 90s. So, you know, we were over 100 years old before that happened, you know. So in terms of traditions, it's a traditional thing that Celtic managers played for the club. And then since then, we've had some players who have played for the club, such as the aforementioned Tommy Burns, Tony Mowbray, Neil Lennon. But I think we're at a stage now in terms of the modern game where that can no longer be a, a, a kind of prerequisite for the Celtic job. Kevin, how do you feel about that? I mean, do, do you even see that as a change in direction? We've we've gone down the route of bringing in someone like Ronnie Dyla, for example, who was meant to be a long-term project and developing um, not just the first 11 guys on the, on the park but developing um, a, a culture at the club that would run from the youth teams right through to the first team. Do you think Celtic are in a position where this big restructure that, that has been kind of mooted in the summer is something that, as you say, we, we've, we might do but we need to start putting the, you know, the blocks in place now. There's no point, even with all the other circumstances you mentioned in relation to a pre-season which is short enough, um, but it's going to be eaten into even even more than normal before the, the qualifiers coming in. I mean, it's unthinkable for me that we would just um, go as is and maintain the status quo, but with every passing day, it's looking more and more likely. When it comes down to that point, and I'm going to throw a suggestion at you, Kevin, the names of Mark Hughes and Mark Bowen have been mentioned quite a lot on this podcast because I'm interested in this whole idea around perception. So you say a name and then people scoff. You say a name and people cheer. And I've seen quite a lot, even in the last few days, people coming in, Slavin Bilic. Tell me why. Tell me why on earth we would bring Slavin Bilic into Celtic Football Club. Now, the same could be said for a lot of the more kind of popular names. Eddie Howe, why would we bring him in? Well, he plays good football. Why else would we bring him in? Well, look what he'd done at Bournemouth. To a level, yes. To a level, he had success at Bournemouth. But he never finished in the top 10 of the EPL. And perhaps he wasn't expected to as well. But, you know, David Moyes, you mentioned David Moyes' name six months ago. Boo and hiss. You mention it now. It's a lot is down to perception. So when the names of, for example, Jack Ross, when Kevin says Jack Ross, almost unanimously in the comment section is no chance. We don't want that. It's a backward step, etc., etc. But there needs to be more than just this perception of that guy's not the man for Celtic. So when I hear the names of Mark Hughes and Mark Bowen, and then I dig deeper into what they've achieved in the game. Um, and then, you know, you look at the situation, would they be happy to come in on an interim basis, Kevin? You know, would, would any management team be happy to come in on an interim basis between now and the end of the season? Because the, the reason I'm asking that, there was a very big hint dropped on Twitter this week by David Lowe, who we know associates or is an associate of Neil Lennon, talking about their possibly being an interim man in charge between now and the end of the season. Now, I'm going to throw this one at Kevin first. I think I know what he's going to say. Would that be a new interim management team or would that be an interim management team from within? Because it was a, quite a hint to drop from David Lowe. He was having a conversation with Roger Mitchell and there's, there's lots of noise on Twitter, of course there is, but there's certain conversations that you take heed of and that, that was one that, that stood out for me. I would find... Any, for example, let's use, you've used Mark Hughes' name. 
So Mark Hughes wants to come back into football. He sees four months at Celtic. He's not going to take four months at Celtic unless he's got unless he's guaranteed an interview in the summer for the job. Mm. Now he, he's not he's not going to take that. Um, with Neil Lennon, it was maybe a bit different because you could play on the heartstrings, and he would he would he would always he would always have done it. But any manager who is a serious manager, and I'm not I don't even mean Neil Lennon's not a serious manager, but any manager who's got ambitions to to move on higher in the game, somebody with a background of Mark Hughes is not going to take an interim role at Celtic in Scotland for four months without a guarantee he's at least getting an interview in the summer. Like it or not, but I never want my football club to act the way that Chelsea act, where when a manager goes in, the first thing he negotiates is his payoff, because um, that's what Chelsea seem to do. I don't want. I don't want my club to act like that. I want my club to. We we we're in a we're in a, a a tunnel just now, where we can actually look longer term. The short termism of ten in a row is now gone. Forget about it. We maybe need to get into the man the mindset. We need to broaden our horizons. Our mindset maybe maybe needs to be. We need to develop a club and a culture which builds from within. And to do that, that may mean that Rangers win the league. If we didn't win it, Rangers are going to win the league. If we didn't win that club, Rangers might win it. But the longer term, it might be more beneficial for us. So we've got to forget the short-term thinking and bring an in an out of an an out of club and bringing an interim manager who's got no, who is not who's not employed by the club at the moment for mm. me it just seems folly. Because then you're just making the same mistake that you made with Neil Lennon. Were you surprised when you seen the comment being made by David? I didn't take it the same way as what you took it. I took it to mean that Neil knows that he's not going to see out this week and there is going to be another interim manager which is likely to be John Kennedy or somebody from... Uh, I was just waiting for you to say that. I didn't, I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that. But basically, Neil knows he's, he's like... He's like a seagull that's been hit with a car. He's just waiting to get picked up off the road. That's you couldn't have. For me, Neil Lennon when they sat there for four months, knowing full well that he was leaving in the summer. That's the lamest of the lamest ducks that you'll ever get. But I don't think he would do that from his own professional standpoint, Kevin. You know, he wouldn't accept that, would he? Knowing that he's going to be paid off at the end of the uh, the end of the season. Why would he go in day in, day in, day out under that intense scrutiny, that intense pressure and put himself through that for four months? You know, regardless of how much he loves the club and how much the club means to him, I don't think he could afford to put himself under that kind of level of stress for the next four months. Look at it, look at it from a player's point of view. A player, that's not going to do anything for the player's state of mind knowing full well they've got a man in the dugout telling them to do stuff, trying to develop them or attempting to develop them on the training field when he's not going to be there four months later. For their long-term progression, that's no, no good for the club. And he can, he can do it certain ways, and I reckon we've, dro- we've drawn this out far, far too long, and I'm now beginning to actually feel sorry for Neil. I actually mm-hmm. feel sorry for him in October when, uh, when the decision should have been made, but now it's just untenable. And it's really, really bad management. But the management or the lack of management, the lack of people putting on big boy pants, doesn't surprise me anymore. The thing with that, Kevin, and it's a, I think it's an important point that you made, is that it's not fair 
on the manager because had a decision been made and I think a lot of people wanted a decision to be made long before the Rangers game on the 2nd of January then Neil Lennon wouldn't have had to have suffered uh, the fallout of Dubai he wouldn't have had to be put in front of the cameras last Monday because I don't I mean I don't think that helped him one iota you know in, in relation to how he's feeling um, day to day so I, I think you're right and you then ask yourself what happens when if and when something else uh, really controversial happens and you know the, the, there's a press conference on the Monday or on a Thursday or the pre-match what happens then do you just stop putting Neil Lennon out there because- this week on the marketers report Patrizio Spagnoletto global chief marketing officer direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on building trust Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. We're in, we're in that situation where it seems to be, and we brought it up kind of early on, Kevin, you know, where you'd be expecting your number two to say, no, actually, Neil, I've got this. You know, you stay in the changing room. We've seen it once I think that was probably connected to the fact that there was a COVID outbreak that we didn't know about. Um, there was a lot of stuff happening in the background at that time. John Kenneth com- comes out, thought it came across okay. Thought it came across pretty well. Why has he not done it before? Gavin Strachan was able to speak for the two games he was in charge. Why has he not done it before? You know, and it, So, yes, I've been very critical of Neil Lennon, but not to the point where I can't see some of the things that other people are doing wrong, you know, because they should be supporting Neil Lennon, shouldn't they? Um, I'm going to come back to yourself then on that point, Russell, because Kevin brought up John Kennedy, and I knew he would, as the interim uh, boss, because it is a possibility, let's be honest. Um, if that happens, and you've got John Kennedy, Gavin Strachan, and, and Stevie Woods, maybe supplemented by one other, I would guess maybe Stevie McManus would, would uh, make an appearance. Do you think anything would change? Would you get any kind of reaction? Because it's a bit same old, same old. You're moving out the gaffer, but everybody else remains the same. Would that make any difference? To the yeah, team, no, no, I'm, yeah, no. I mean, from the team's point of view, whether John Kennedy's maybe there, I don't know if he's maybe got quite a better connection because he was already obviously part of the coaching setup under Rogers, and I'm not sure um, if there's much chemistry between John Kennedy and Neil Lennon as is. And you might actually find that if Neil Lennon was removed, I'm not pining for this in any way, shape, or form. By the way, but I mean, if Kennedy was to go in. You might actually see a reaction from the players. They, I think they perhaps buy into his meth- methodology, methodology, easy for me to say. Um, but I think they might buy into that more than what they do Neil Lennon. I actually feel, feel for Neil Lennon. I get what you're saying. You feel you feel sorry for him in a way. And I think you're saying he wouldn't stay four months if he knew he was leaving at the end. But if you'd asked me before he took out this deal, he wouldn't have had a coaching setup that he didn't choose. Mm. I would not never have had Neil Lennon doing that. And yet he has. So... Would he would he stay for the four months remaining for the rest of the season? Perhaps, like Kev said again, that he doesn't think he'll get another job in football. Well, if that's the case, why on earth would you walk away early? You would just put your pride on the shelf and take your final four months um, of a contract being paid to you. But in answer to your question, firstly, could I see John Kennedy going in? Yes, I could. 
Do I see it at any point in any form of intern manager, whether it's external or promoting from within? No, I don't. Um, but do I think Kennedy could get some sort of more positive reaction from the players? He's not going to get it any worse than what he's going right now, is it? I mean, right now, I think it would be the best for all concerned if Neil Lennon did leave, and that includes the players. So, yeah, there's a bit of positivity if, if it was to be Kennedy running it, but I don't see any any great change here. I'm, I'm quite convinced Celtic finish second now, no matter what. Um, I'm not convinced the Scottish Cup will go ahead. I don't think there's any need for that to go ahead in the COVID time. So if we all know we're going to finish second, then any change that's getting made should be a permanent one and um, with as much time to build for next season as possible. Um, I don't understand what the hold-up in that is. You've also got the factor here, if you're bringing in somebody like Mark Hughes for an interim basis, it's another, it's another cost. Yeah. It's an outside cost that when you're trying to plan for a massive rebuild that we don't really need to take because Kennedy is there. So it's an interim manager, an interim manager is an interim manager. I mean, the biggest fear you would be that Kennedy takes us on an unbeaten run for now to the end of the season. We, we, we lose the league by two points and he gets the job in the summer. Like Spud for train spotting. He didn't want to try too hard, did he? <laughs> or he end up getting the job. Might end up getting a job. Uh, Zinkovic, but Kevin, let's be honest, we don't know if he's capable of that. I mean, again, let's go back to the word I use, perception. We we have a perception of John Kennedy. I mean, that perception could be wildly incorrect, wildly inaccurate. You know, if he got the reins, who knows what might happen? I'm not jumping on that bandwagon just yet, Kev, but aye, an interesting uh, thought um, that you brought to my mind there. Rafa is the spark we need, says Zinkovic on YouTube. We need a big name, simple, the fans won't accept a Jack Ross <clears throat> I remember thinking back um, I think probably before he even went to Sunderland we spoke about Jack Ross it might have been whilst he was down in Sunderland and the potential that he had I always kind of saw him maybe even in the future at some point as a future Scotland manager Kevin and we spoke about Jack Ross time and time again um, I don't think his career's gone in a path where I see Celtic has been a destination for him uh, because he's not won anything um, he doesn't have the European experience and he doesn't. He hasn't managed at a club where every single game is a must win and people might say well you know there's loads of managers like that I think that's what you know Brennan Rodgers had that in, in his uh, locker when he, when he came in and his last job had been at Liverpool where I think certainly the fans accept, expect every game to be won uh, because they, they're coming from um, an era maybe in the past where they were the dominant force in English and European football and they wanted to get back to that so that that was slightly different but if you bring in a manager um, who has played for the club and obviously more often than not that has happened they know the mentality that winning mentality that you know no matter what age group you're representing at Celtic Football Club you must win every single game and there's been so many players in the past who have never been able to get their heads around that, you know, from Scotland and further afield where they, they can't make that step up where a draw isn't acceptable in Scottish football. Every single game has to be won. Jack Ross hasn't had that, you know, and he's, he's never had that even as a player. He's never played for a club who had that mentality. And I think he'd be on profile because loads of managers go away and, and develop that elsewhere having not had a great playing career. Jack Ross hasn't developed that anywhere. So um, I get what uh, Zinkovic is saying. A big name. I would much rather, you know, when you're looking at the credible aspects of a manager's CV. What did Rafa Benitez do as a player? 
you know, questionable. I'd need to look at that. I don't know. He certainly doesn't strike me as being a star player who became a manager. Mourinho's the same. Lampard was a fantastic player. He knew the mentality down at Chelsea. I use him as an example because we've already spoken about him. So I can see why that would progress him from being a, a budding uh, candidate to becoming a, a manager at the top level. Jack Ross, I don't see that at Celtic. I don't think he's done enough. And I mean, this season alone, Russell, you look at the two cups, he's got two semi-finals, he's got opportunities to get his club into a final and he's failed so we don't need a manager regardless of how big the name is we don't need a manager who really hasn't achieved success yeah so I mean obviously that then puts you into looking for a certain niche manager a certain level which right now I'm just a wee bit concerned that we've got the foresight to be looking at or even you know, for want of a better word, the balls to be looking at some of these managers I think that, that that's the thing we need to be entering and we need to at least Join the discussion with some of these guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, you might get you might get pied off, and they might not might not be interested in the slightest. But we need to have we need to have the ambition to to look, you know, for someone that that's going to galvanise the whole support. And I think, like you were touched on with Brendan Rodgers, we all know what he did when he came in. It did work. The club smashed a hundred million turnover, um, as well as all the trophies, all the domestic success, and two out of three Champions League qualifications as well which is where the club should be striving to be at. Um, I don't see any benefit of, as I say, waiting just now. And if they have you know, made these pre-planning uh, moves that, that, that would really surprise me, and it does turn out to be a Jack Ross, then I'm in completely agreement with the person who's put in the comments. I don't think that is that is the answer at all. Um, it's trying to get a manager with, with maybe uh, experience of winning trophies, Paul, I mean, they're either already at a club or they're in demand. And are we going to be quick enough to put the, put the traps to be, to, you know, to be in the running for these sort of managers? Um, and like I say, I mean, the second you've seen the news about Benitez coming out of China, I appreciate the news stories were only about a fake letter. But that shouldn't be preventing us getting in touch nonetheless and finding out what's the score here. Are you looking to manage in Europe? What sort of package would it be, would it take to, to attract them? And if he was on fifty, sixty thousand pounds £60,000 a week at Celtic, I can't think of one supporter that would take umbrage with that or have any issue whatsoever. So, yes, whilst it might not be Rafa Benitez, there has to be managers of that ilk that we are looking at definitely going forward and willing to spend the money on. Mm. Now, Robert Highland has joined us again on YouTube. The board seem to have given up on the Champions League qualifiers as well. Players need to be sold to fund new recruits. No time left. Now, I tend to agree with Russell in relation to the fact that with the squad we have, um, as poorly managed or coached or coached as they have been this season I still think that we are by far and away at least the second best team in Scotland I would hope uh, so I agree with you Russell I don't think there is an issue there that that would include uh, you know involve another kind of capitulation Kevin and and you know the same vein as two wins in 12 before one of the uh, the Aberdeen or Hibs are, are starting to breathe down your neck and, and leapfrog you but I, I do agree that we need to start looking ahead to this, the, the summer and we need to get someone in just now but taking up Robert's point there in, in terms of players being sold all the chat is coming back round to Odds and Eduard again 
how much truth is in it. We're seeing clubs such as West Ham, Spurs and even Arsenal being quoted as being interested in Eddie. Going back to the point Kevin made, I think part of the rebuilding job will be that some of your prized assets will be yeah. will be sold. So let's have a look at Eduard and let's also look at the possibility um, that Brennan Rodgers might also have his eye on one or two players. We know how big a fan he has been of Callum McGregor and the fact that he did try and prize him away from Celtic previously. I'm not expecting much incomings, if any, Kevin, even though I think we're desperate for a centre-half, at least one centre-half. Do you think in this transfer window we will see a, a couple of departures? I don't think so. I, I, I think uh, unless it's for really, really silly money, uh, money that we can't knock back, I can't see any departures, mainly because I don't think clubs are going to spend silly money. Even the even, uh, your West Ham or, or teams of that ilk, if they get relegated, this is a this is an awful season to get relegated to go down into the championship where they drop an income with no fans, the COVID stuff like that. So for them to spend what we for for me would be a silly amount of money on a player, an unproven player at that level. I can't see them done it. The, the, this this season is completely different. This season is more a contractual obligation rather rather than a sporting merit season. Eh? So I can't see I can't see anybody leaving for the fees that we would want. The summer's different. The summer will be different, and we will need to cut our cloth in the summer like other clubs. And the fees that we'll get will will uh, reflect that. Now, there's, as always, really interesting comments coming in. Uh, Michael the Boy on Twitter, Celtic as a club have a duty to the fans to at least approach the likes of uh, Rafa Benitez or Eddie Howe. This goes back to a point I think uh, Tony Haggerty made just at the end of last week there where he says you ask you, you pick your top candidate and you ask the question and then you start working back from there and I think that is what you've been alluding to as well Russell why not find out what their aspirations are um, and then take it from there is it, how disappointing is it uh, to yourself that we as a football club maybe feel that all these managers are, are, are we'd be punching above our kind of level to get them yeah that that Totally, you've just hit the nail on the head. I think there is almost a lack of self-belief in that way. and A, a lack of um, awareness of how big the Celtic job can be. I mean, it was only in your weekend um, pod with Kev, you were talking about Bobby Robson in the 90s, um, potentially coming to the club. And you think where we were then, OK, we've not, but we, you know, it's been a terrible season this year. But, you know, you would look, it was only a couple of years ago you had Brendan Rodgers in charge in the Champions League, as I say, to see years. So we're not miles away. It's not like it's going to be... You know, we're, we're going to be miles and miles from being able to get us up to being a Champions League club again. I also get a bit concerned that they don't like having these conversations with, with guys who have big ambitions because they don't have that conviction that we can fulfil those ambitions. And when it comes to going from Champions League regulars to that next stage being Champions League, three out of four seasons perhaps, four out of five, getting more regular, they panic a wee bit. And they seem to want to down, sort of just pull in the reins a wee bit again. And uh, if they get a really progressive, forward-thinking, ambitious manager, is that going to make them wet the bed a wee bit too much once he starts saying, right, two group stages of the Champions Leagues in a row, now I want X amount a million and I'll we'll go for the last 16. Do you know what I mean? And things like that, they don't, they don't perhaps like those conversations and they maybe prefer spending less and just getting the odd wee Champions League bon bonus money coming in. And it's bonus money. Whereas a 
Rafa Benitez would be saying, oh no, if you let me come up with my plans, my ideas, that'll be your regular money. And it'll mm. be bonus money, it'll be qualifying out the group stage. And I'm not like, quite convinced under the current stewardship that that's, I don't know, it just seems a bit big for them, that sort of thinking. Well, what Russell actually says probably bears out when you look at the facts that we were looking to get into the Champions League. What was it? Three out of five years, two mm-hmm. out of five years. That was that was in the business plan. It also, it also backs itself out when when Rangers were promoted um, in Rogers' first season. I remember the outcry when they started charging forty nine pound for a ticket. And I was in a meeting, and I'm not going to talk it. Come here, and this was brought back to me. A guy who'll be watching brought this back up at the meeting I was at on, on Thursday night. And I remember what Peter Wall says, and when he says, "Oh, we're going to charge you forty nine pound. We're going to. It's not included on the the, the family enclosure ticket. It's not included on the under thirteen ticket. If you want to upgrade your ticket, you've got to pay forty nine pound." And we say as well, what we think that's completely unfair. We're there to see Celtic. And he says, well, he says, all the guys out there will pay £49 to see Celtic play Rangers. So just move on. And that maybe shows you the business model. Mm-hmm. That maybe shows you the whole business model. It was always there to get the, the business of the old firm back into town to sell £8,000, tickets. At that point, to say to a season <clears> ticket holder, we don't care if you didn't pay it. Because we'll get somebody else in to pay that £49. And maybe that shows you the mindset of a wide section of your support. Wow. I mean, I only know from my point of view. I mean, for me, I think, you know, Rangers were always going to come back up to the top league anyway. At some point, it was inevitable that I I know it took them one extra season. But what are you even worried about that for? Do you know what I mean? That shouldn't be coming into it because they were always going to be back in that league eventually in some sort of form. Um, And... Actually, I put my hand up there because someone else has just came back to me for, for that oh, meeting. What, what was actually says. Um, somebody, somebody says about a Rangers challenge and the top table actually says, well, with the size of support and the finance available to them, the will challenge us eventually. I, that, that was a comment for Peter Wall as well. Yeah. yeah so, they I all, mean, so they were always expecting it or they were always preparing for it. I mean, it was just common sense, wasn't it? I mean, if they were still getting 50,000 fans at their ground, they were always going to come back into the league and end up being some form of challenge. It was all about us, though, how much of a challenge we let them become. And instead of being stamping on them when they were down, we obviously let them back in. But what should have been happening throughout that was tuning fans into, whilst they weren't in the leagues, was the Champions League every year. And getting that to be the product and that to be the type of games that we were the most psyched up for instead of waiting patiently on, on your noisy neighbours to come back in and make that the the, 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 sell, the key selling point to fans being the Celtic Rangers thing, that would have took care of itself. But during the time when they were away, because I know you said over the pod at the weekend as well, we almost had a free run at the Champions League during that, that, that time. And we only qualified, you know, X amount of times. I can't remember, two, maybe three. I mean, if we had made the Champions League a regular thing by being showing that ambition... Imagine that for the younger fans coming through, being what they associate Celtic with, competing mm. at European level. And then the Rangers thing being the sort the second biggest aspect of you know of, of types of matches that we can play in. But instead, I think you're absolutely right. It looks like we focused on the domestic rivalry ahead of the European one, 
which makes no business sense whatsoever because the European one is the one that really is the gold mine. Um, and you only need to look. This is a wee bit off tangent. But I've seen Club Bruges uh, signed a player for twenty million euros in this month, and you just think, you know, they're not in a league that's, that's much bigger than ours. They certainly aren't as big a club as Celtic. And yet, if we were even remotely talking about signing a player for twenty million euros, we'd all fall off our chairs. So that just shows you what can happen when you get in the Champions League um, more regularly. And like I say, that should be our key selling point um, for for tickets for fans coming through. Um, not this domestic, this domestic rivalry we've allowed to become um, so prevalent all over again. But you're right. You're you're right, Russell. It's absolutely spot on, one hundred percent. There has been short termism from the board. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Champions League. We had a free run at the Champions League, and if we had looked bigger out our wee parochial island and says Europe's where it's going to be, you make more money in Europe than what you do for winning the Scottish League. You make more money in the Champions League for having a close Scottish League title. It's for me. For me, I think when I look back on this, I'm I'm, I'm already over losing the league this year, and and probably the 25th of January, I'm over losing losing the league this year already. And for for me, when I look back on this, which I will look back on it, the the ten in a row has throttled us. Ten in a row has. Has actually, we've had a short-term vision, and it's been to get to the ten, and that that's wrong, and that's actually we're in a dungeon now. Actually, we are we are, we are noose round our neck. Why does it have to be one or the other? Why that's what I, I can't understand that logic either. Both of them went hand in hand. If we would have aimed for Europe, ten would have been a given. Yep. So, so oh, no, been, yeah. You're right. Oh. I mean, only on a Celtic state of mind could you be talking about dungeons and seagulls all in the one show, Kevin. So thanks <laughs> for that. Um, interestingly enough, quite a few comments coming in in relation to Mark Hughes, and I make Mark Hughes as a as a as a point on the whole perception of the minute a manager's name getting mentioned, it, it, you know, we get we get it scoffed at. Just about any manager. And it gets scoffed at because no chance. He's yesterday's man. Or Jack Ross, he's no good enough. And I've done it myself uh, with some of them. Or Ralph Ranyett, no chance. He wouldn't come to Celtic. So I, I haven't seen a universal list of names that everybody's saying, oh, actually, that would work. And I think when you actually dig in a wee bit deeper and you start looking at the managerial staff, and I've gone over them a few times uh, Des Brennan says I see Mark Hughes on a TV this weekend yeah it does look as though he wants back in the game uh, come on the hoop Celtic who were involved in our charity weekend are welcome to the show guys I would take Mark Hughes and Benny 121 I take Hughes also now this isn't based simply on his pedigree as a player we know what he did as a player with Manchester yep. United and Chelsea by Munich uh, Barcelona and Wales but in terms of his, his managing career. I see things popping up on Twitter. Mark Hughes is a serial loser. No, he's not. He's actually not. That's factually incorrect. He didn't have a very good time at Southampton, to be fair, which was his last job. Has he had opportunities in the last two years to get back into football? I would suggest that he will have had. He will have had opportunities. Of course he does. And then I would then bring in the Davy Moyes um, example, whereby six months ago, his name would have been scoffed at. Today, it wouldn't now he's not be- all of a sudden become a good manager in six months he was always that manager he was always that manager um, and was he not out of the game for a couple of years between jobs so I just think that when we're moving into the next uh, managerial appointment whenever that may be because it's going to happen eventually there's going to be a lot of disappointed Celtic supporters 
But what will happen is we, we just need to galvanise, don't we? We need to galvanise because we need to get the squad ready for next season, which hopefully will include um, Champions League qualifiers. So, you know, that that's for me the difficulty in amongst all the chaos and all the noise, Kevin, is the fact that you've got to actually look at every single candidate um, and you've got to, to look at their, their value as managers and what they've actually done and just don't base it on perception. So I've asked to you about Jack Ross. It's not just because I don't like him, because you know I do like him and I like the fact that he's got a, a good uh, coaching team as well. I mean, I've got huge respect for Jack Ross and John Potter, his assistant, but in terms of taking over at Celtic, I don't think the time is right. Um, if he goes away on a tremendous run, wins a few cups with Hibs, he'll get a move back down south. He might then make a name for himself. Uh, and Celtic might not be in the running in terms of uh, his own career path. I then see other names coming into the frame. You know, I've seen them all, to be honest with you. Roy Keane, I can't understand why Roy Keane would be mentioned in the same breath because as a manager... He is shouldn't even be a candidate. And that's us going back to that, they need to know the club. Do they really? Or do they, they need to know how to actually shape a team? Do they need to know how to coach a team and manage a game through, through to fruition? Because you don't need to have had a, an association with Celtic for that to be a success. Um, so, you know, the big perception thing is something I'm going to keep coming back to. Um, Kevin, for example... If I was to make an approach to someone like Mark Hughes to come on this podcast, would you welcome that for a chat and a discussion about his view on his career and, and his future? I would love it. I would. I would love to actually speak to him as well regarding the the managerial merry-go-round, how it works, what happens, the ins and outs, the stuff that we don't see. Um, and also, it would be interesting to hear his thoughts on his philosophy. Because there's certain teams, if you go to Stoke, Stoke have got a certain philosophy. You go to Southampton, they've got a, they've got a certain philosophy. They've got a certain aim. Stoke and Southampton is to stay in the English Premier League. So, well, Ralph Hussentattle's actually doing quite well with Southampton. Just I don't think that's how you say his name, but we'll, 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 we'll let that pass. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear what his philosophy would be if he took a club who predominantly dominates the ball in games. So I mean, he's been Man City manager. A lot of people forget he's been Man City's manager. So I mean, at the moment, I would take Yosser Hughes if he could actually teach us how to defend a corner kick <laughs> and uh, develop talent for Lennox Town. Eh? Um, but it'd be interesting to hear him on, not, not to punt himself for the job, but just to hear what his take is on his... Image. I raise the point, Kevin, because he obviously has, and it's been mentioned in the comments, he has been in the media recently. I think that there comes a point, but due to the the strain and the pressure, I'm not saying this is the case with Mark Hughes, in a manager's life where sometimes they, they come away from a, a bad experience and take some time out. And then all of a sudden people think, oh, they're yesterday's man. You know, you say Man City, people will say, you yeah, are, but he brought in Robinho. You know, that's perception. Well, it, yeah, he did. Well, he was a manager when Rubinho joined Man City. He also brought in Vincent Company. So you're going to give him credit for that as well? Mm -hmm. As maybe have a dig at Rubinho. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, when, when Rubinho actually was a club choice, it was the new owners that brought him in. They wanted a marquee signing. They wanted to put their stamp on it. We're going to spend a lot of mil- uh, millions of uh, uh, pounds and we're going to actually become a force in English football again. So they went and signed Rubinho. You're the manager. You're Mark Hughes. You're going to say, nah, no thanks. 30 odd million quid for the Brazilian international. I won't bother with that. But he did bring in company and various other successful players. Um, at Manchester City so we could actually go through every single candidate and, and give you a list of pros and cons um, but I think that the, the most meaningful thing from this discussion is that we've come through almost to the end of January and there's been no change and I find that astonishing um, and also I think that the fact that we haven't strengthened particularly at uh, centre half I think that's astonishing as well because you know what happens if we get yet another injury? What happens if we get yet another COVID casualty? We've seen it this season, so why aren't we planning against that? How well set up are we when we bring in a loan signing that we can't, you know, change that deal midway through it? We can't send them back. I mean, and and you know, similarly, we've got Jack Hendry uh, over in Belgium and we can't bring him back either. So it, it doesn't ever seem to be in favour of the club. We've got to keep a player if he's playing badly, yet we can't bring one back if he's playing OK. So I, I just think the whole recruitment process um, definitely is something that we need to we need to look at and completely review. Um, now, I want to take some time to speak about Johannes Edvaldsson. Uh, rest in peace, Shuggy. That comes in from Martin Bickett. And there has been quite a few other messages coming in um, about a man who was part of the team when 10 men won the league, Kevin Graham. Uh, you won't remember that, I don't think. You'd have only been three or four at that time. But it's one of these stories that's part of Celtic folklore. You know, whereby we won in the last game of our season the league by beating Rangers 4 2. We had to win that game, and that was despite Johnny Doyle getting sent off for having a wee fly kick at Alex McDonald as he was on the deck. 4 uh, 2, one of the most famous victories in Celtic's history. Big Shuggy was part of that. Um, you know, he was a, an Icelandic internationalist. His son, in actual fact, was a coach. Um, I think he was involved at Celtic at some point. He certainly was involved with the Jimmy Johnson Academy. Uh, I heard loads of great stories about Big Shuggy through Andy Lynch when I was writing Andy's book. Uh, Andy loved Shuggy to death, and Shuggy got into the, the pub game after his career at Celtic finished, etc. So, yeah, rest in peace, and our, our thoughts and prayers are with his fr- uh, friends and family at this time as well. It's not a player, unfortunately, that I, I ever had a chance to speak to, um, but he's in there. He's in the Celtic history books. The last thing I'd like to discuss with you is some of the comments that are coming in from people at the club. Um, you know, people saying that the fans have got short memories uh, in relation to, you know, success in the past. And it's almost as if, Russell, you know, it's almost like be grateful for what happened last season. Only a month ago, we won a quadruple treble. As if that masks the poor performances and all the bad decisions that have been made this season. As a supporter, I find it um, ill-timed when someone from Celtic says such a thing. I don't understand it at all. I don't understand that logic. The only reason you'll ever hear negative vibes from Celtic supporters about what's currently gone is because we all want the best for Celtic. Surely that's the common goal. And that's got to be something that is a continual thing, not a, oh, wasn't it great when we did that and now we'll just go, you know, not win anything for a few years. No, you have to be constantly challenging yourself and you have to be obviously, obviously challenging the club. And we do it through this sort of stream. I get, I'm lucky enough to do it once a week. But anything you ever hear on this is very constructive 
Um, it's always with the sole purpose of Celtic being the best version that Celtic can be. I don't understand how that makes you ungrateful, having a short memory. Maybe having a short memory is a good thing because we know what it's like to win these trophies. All we want to do is do that again. What is the problem here? Um, a short-term memory, I just, I, I think we back up we back up a lot right now um, based on facts as well. Based on, you're, you're, you're looking back, I've heard you on this pod talking about 20 years ago when there was management changes, talking about Martin O'Neill's time at the club. You went further back than that in the past. John Barnes has been the, the conversation recently. This isn't talking about just short-term memories and things like that. We're making contrasting and comparing to various eras of Celtic with the common goal of wanting what's best for Celtic going forward. What is the problem? <laughs> no, you're right. Now, there's going to be massive changes, uh, Russell, all over the game, all over the Scottish game, uh, for obvious reasons during the pandemic. But this managerial merry-go-round, we've seen it kicking off down in England, Kevin Graham. And I think we've talked about managerial stock rising and, and diminishing and all this kind of stuff. What obviously does happen at the moment is we've got a manager who, whenever that time comes, I think he's going to be one of these guys who will take some time away from uh, football altogether. Um, I don't think that uh, you and I realise, Kevin, that the level of pressure somebody like Neil Lennon is under. Um, but when we're talking about looking back, the, the, the one period of the most recent history that I do go back to was just prior to us winning uh, the first of the nine in a row. And, you know, Rangers had won three league trophies uh, on the bounce. And the three seasons, as I remember them, was Gordon Strachan's last season, Mowbray's season, and then Lenny's first season. There's three in a row. Now, if you don't get your finger out, you don't get your act together, it's easy enough for something like that to happen, whereby you bring in the wrong man, you've got to change him again, you're then bringing in an interim. And in the meantime, who's going to win the league? If it's not Celtic, well, Rangers are going to win the league. Of course they are. So we're, we're entering a period now, Kevin, where you're saying you're over the you're over the the disappointment, I guess, of not winning the league this season. But the club need to act to prevent us going into this situation where that pendulum swings in the other direction and it stays there for a few seasons. Do you think that the changes we're going to make will be with that in mind for immediate results, Kevin Graham? Um, a couple of things before I answer the question, Paul. Um, big shuggy, eh? Fort Stays family, and that. We, we talk about cult heroes quite a bit. He's a cult hero, eh? He, he's a Celtic cult hero, eh? Because he played in a time when there wasn't many, eh, no like today, when there's loads of eh, foreigners playing in Scottish football, eh? So I, I reckon Big Shuggy's a Celtic cult hero. Just, mm-hmm. and even just for a part in eh, that eh, 10 men won the league. Um, you mentioned Lee Griffith's comments there as well. Maybe Lee should actually have a look in the mirror and see if he's been grateful to his employers who have stuck by him. Uh, has he been grateful with the manager and the, his employers this season when he came back unfit? And his employers have stood by him. Many managers have stood by him as well when other clubs would have kicked him out. Has he done enough this season to make it better? Um we talk about history quite a bit on this podcast because we didn't actually want to repeat the same mistakes of history. And we do we do keep on repeating those mistakes. For me, I could take losing the league title next season as long as we look longer term. As long as we as long as we broaden our horizon. And for me, to make the same mistake that we done with Neil Lennon, because we were that focused on something parochial. 
to try and change it as quickly right away next season would be the wrong decision for me. We've got to broaden our horizons. We've got to look at the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is outside Scotland. If you get the bigger picture right, your domestic game sorts itself out as as well. So I wouldn't want to just make a change so we can win a domestic title back next season. I want to make a domestic change so we can win the five after that. We can get to the the last 16 of the Champions League. We can be involved in a European League. We can get to the last 16, last day of Europa League. That's where I want to make the the change. Because if you make that change, the domestic game handles itself. I agree with that now. Last message coming in from Highland Party 2 via YouTube. I was born on the day 10 men won the league. Well, good for you, sir. Great day to be born. And, you know, if you are watching on YouTube, as Highland Party is, remember to subscribe. We're growing all the time. We're putting out as many broadcasts as we possibly can. It's been great to uh, start off the week with uh, another Axon Bulletin. We'll be back tomorrow at 12.30. And all that's left for me to say today is Kevin Graham and Russell Boyce. Thank you again for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience live conversations trusted influencers and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network sports social podcast network Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. When everyone's on the same page, 
Getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.